Find Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, if you would please. If you don't know where the book of Hebrews is, turn all the way back to the book of Revelation. And then Hebrews is the ninth book going in reverse. In my Bible, it's on page 1001. In your Bible, you'll have to find the page number. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject, you need a church home. You need a church home. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? Beginning there in verse 19, I want you to notice as we read through the passage, everything in this passage kind of hinges around three key phrases. And each of those three key phrases begins with the words, let us, let us, let us, let us, three times. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Father, we thank you for your beautiful and wonderful plan of redemption. That through faith in Jesus Christ, we can have our names written in the Lamb's book of life and be adopted into your family. And in this family, we have brothers and sisters. And Father, you've told us that we're to meet together to worship, to witness, to encourage one another, and to pray. Help us to understand today the responsibilities that we have as your children. Oftentimes we think of the privilege and indeed we are blessed. But to whom much is given, much is required. Father, as the psalmist said, I pray that the meditations of my heart, the words of my lips, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You may recall that occasion, very well-known occasion in Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus had carried his disciples to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now, by the way, the region of Caesarea Philippi was an area of false worship where the Greeks had false gods. And so it's no accident that Jesus carried his disciples to Caesarea Philippi to ask one of the most important questions that could ever be asked. Indeed, the most important question that could ever be asked. When they arrived in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, Whom do men say that I am? 
And you'll remember the response. They said, some say you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus looking at them said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Ladies and gentlemen, do you realize that there is only one thing on the face of this earth that Jesus Christ promised that he would bless and build, and that is his church. Now what is the church? It's not bricks and mortar. Now thank God for the bricks and mortar because it's not likely that we would gather together in a corporate assembly like this and worship God as a body if we did not have a place to meet. So thank God for the bricks and mortar, but the bricks and mortar are not the church. You're the church and I'm the church. In 1 Peter 2, Peter says there in verse 5, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are living stones being built upon Christ, the cornerstone. And as such, ladies and gentlemen, the church is a living organization, a living organism. It is not a stale organization. Now, you could call the church many things. You could call the church a hospital for hypocrites. You could call it a counseling center for recovering sinaholics. You could call the church a birthing station or a spiritual university. But whatever you call the church, God calls it the bride of Christ. You and I are the bride of Christ. Now men, do you love your bride? Well, of course you do. Well, Jesus loves his bride as well. And the Bible says that his desire is that one day he will present his bride faultless and blameless before the throne of God. But do you realize when you drove to church today, two out of every three of your neighbors chose not to? On an average Sunday, two-thirds of all Americans will find something else to do rather than go to church. Now, interestingly enough, many of these same neighbors claim that they believe exactly like you do. But sad to say, the average American will only go to church three times in his or her life. When he's hatched, when he's matched, and when he's dispatched. The first time they have water thrown on them, the second time they have rice thrown on them, and the third time they have dirt thrown on them. I heard of a man who came back home from church one Sunday and said to his wife, I'll never go back to that church again. She said, why? He said, I'll give you three reasons. Number one, nobody welcomes me or speaks to me. Secondly, half of the congregation acts like they despise me. And thirdly, I don't have a single friend in the church. 
She said, now I'm going to give you three reasons why you will go back to church again. First of all, you promised me that when we got married, you would go to church with me. Secondly, you need to set the proper example for our children. And thirdly, you're the pastor of the church. <laughs> why should we go to church? Why should we go to church? Well, there's a reason that the insurance industry will give you. Did you realize in one study conducted by an insurance company from Connecticut, it was discovered that 45 million adults might be classified as deeply religious because they feel loved by God, they pray, they read the Bible, they attend services regularly at their church, and they've made life-changing commitments to the Lord Jesus Christ. When they compared these people to those in America who are the least religious, they found that the religious folks are twice as likely to say that their home life is happy. They're twice as likely also to believe that their work contributes significantly to society. They're more than twice as likely to at least attempt marital reconciliation and they are six times more likely to do community volunteer work and to give. Now folks, those are noble reasons of why to go to worship, but I want you to notice while they're noble reasons, they're not the best reasons. In our text this morning, everybody, we're going to see that everybody needs a church home for three reasons. First of all, because of faith. Secondly, because of hope. And thirdly, because of love. Faith, hope, and love, these three. Now let's look at them. First of all, you need a church home to worship God. You need a church home to worship God. Look at verse 22. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This deals with faith. Now, do you remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4? He told her that the Father seeks those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. It is the Father's desire that we worship, and not only that we worship, but that we worship properly. We're being admonished here to worship, to draw near to God in faith. And interestingly enough, James 4.8 says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Now folks, that means that I don't just come to church to hear the singing or listen to the preaching. While important elements of worship, those are not the reasons to come. We come to church first and foremost to draw near to God, to worship God. That means if the song wasn't exactly to my liking or if the Sunday school lesson or the sermon didn't apply exactly to what I'm going to be facing that week, I still go to church anyway because I'm still able to draw near to God and I'm able to worship God. What the writer of Hebrews wants to show us is how fortunate we are under the new covenant. You see, under the old covenant, everybody couldn't draw near to God. They had to have a high priest who would represent them, and the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. 
And only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. If anybody else ventured into the Holy of Holies, they would drop dead. In fact, in, Le- in Leviticus 10 verse 2, Nadab and Abihu died while offering incense and it had become the practice of the high priest to not even linger in, in the most holy place on the Day of Atonement because even if the high priest were to linger, everybody outside waiting on him to come back out, they would grow terrified. But I want you to look at verse 19. Because of Jesus, verse 19 says, You and I can have the confidence. We can have the boldness to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Not just the high priest, but everybody, because Jesus is our high priest. And he's gone into the Holy of Holies and he's presented that sacrifice that he made at Calvary's cross on our behalf. It was a perfect sacrifice and so he's opened the way into the Holy of Holies for every single child of God. That's why Paul says in Romans 5 that because of Christ we have two great privileges. Number one, we have peace with God because we've been reconciled to him. And number two, we have access into his presence. Now folks, this is something that would have been completely unthinkable in Old Testament times. But it's a privilege and an honor that you and I have because of Jesus Christ. And so what a shame that many Christians do not draw near to God. Jesus has secured that privilege and some just pass it by. The writer of Hebrews wants us to see that Christ's death has won a better way for us. By the blood of Jesus, we have access to God, and that open access is available anytime. You know, one of the great tragedies of being lost that we don't think much of is isolation from God. We tend to concentrate on a lost person not being forgiven. And and we should concentrate on that because the lost person is in a state of hostility to God. But because of that state of hostility to God, the Bible points out that they're locked out of the presence of God. They are in exile. They are shut out from the presence of God. Well, if we're in Christ, positionally we're not in exile, so let's not in practice exile ourselves from God's presence. Now verse 20 says that this is our new and living way. Unlike those old sacrifices that had to be done over and over again, Christ's sacrifice is once for all sufficient. And unlike those dead carcasses of those animals, Christ forevermore lives. Christ's body and the temple, the temple veil, are to be seen in verse 20 as corresponding to one another. As Christ's flesh was torn on the cross, the temple veil was torn. Now what the writer wants us to see and what he is symbolizing is that by Christ's sacrifice, anyone can now enter through Jesus into the Holy of Holies. Again, we have a privilege that no Old Testament saint other than the high priest had. Another motivation for given here for drawing near to God in worship is because we have a great high priest. 
Now, in the Old Testament, the high priest went before God to represent the people. He carried a sin sacrifice with him. But the Bible points out that Christ is our high priest. He represents us before God, and the sacrifice he brings is perfect. It is his own nail-scarred body. And Hebrews 4 says that he is a sympathetic high priest, and he pleads our case before a holy father. And so as we go before God with all of our human needs and all of our human weaknesses, Jesus Christ is able to faithfully represent us before God as one who has himself lived in the flesh and he understands everything that it means to be tempted. Yet, of course, he was tempted without sin. So we do not have a high priest who is, uh, who is not able to understand our needs. Now as we draw near to God and worship all of this made possible through Jesus Christ, let us not suppose that we can do so carelessly or flippantly. Look at verse 22. He says that we are to go before Him in worship. We are to draw near with a true heart. That is with a heart of faith. If we're going to draw near to God, we must have faith. Hebrews eleven six tells us, without faith it is impossible to please God. If a person does not have faith in God, that God rewards those who seek Him, they're not going to approach God. There's no way you're going to have a, a private devotion time in the morning. There's no way you're going to open up your Bible and read your Bible and pray to God and ask God to direct you in your affairs tomorrow if you don't even believe that, that God exists and He rewards those who seek Him. You've got to have a true heart of, of faith, a heart of assurance if you're going to go before God. And so he's saying here we must approach God in worship with this heart of faith. Then he goes on to say that we need a sincere heart or a true heart. That means one with true devotion, nothing showy, nothing fake. In other words, we need a heart without hypocrisy. And then he mentions with our hearts sprinkled clean. In the Old Testament, when they offered the sacrifices, they would take hyssop, which was a plant, and they would dip it in the blood. They would sprinkle the altar and the person. But in the New Covenant, we need to understand it's not simply an outer thing, an outer ritual, but our hearts need to be clean before God. We need forgiveness because sin and God don't mix. In Psalm 66, King David said, If I regard or if I cherish iniquity, if I cherish iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. Then I want you to notice he adds with our, our he, he adds that we're to go before God in worship with our bodies washed with pure water. Now, some have made this a reference to baptism, but more than likely it refers to the inner reality that baptism portrays. It is a picture of sin being washed away and the person standing in the righteousness that Christ offers. Now, folks, I know that it is easy to get lost in all the details of this passage, but the writer is wanting us to see something. 
He's wanting us to see all the comparisons being made between the old covenant on the one hand and the new covenant on the other. And what we have in the new covenant with Jesus Christ is so much better. They had, they, had an high, they had a high priest under the old covenant. The priest and the people alike had to be sprinkled and washed and then the priest alone could go in before God. We today have a priest. It's Jesus. We have a sacrifice. He offered himself at Calvary. Uh, only one time because, again, his sacrifice was perfect. We have to be sprinkled and washed in his blood. What we have in Jesus is so much better. And what the writer of Hebrews is wanting us to see is that because of all of these privileges, because of all of these honors that we have, not because of what I've done, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ and Christ alone has done. Because of what Christ has done, you and I have a privilege to go before God daily in worship and to worship Him in spirit and in truth and have Him transform our heart. And if we're going to do that, we need to do it both privately and corporately, the Bible talks about. And corporately refers to having a church family. And so together as one family, we need to come before God week in and week out. And we need to worship God and we need to lift our voices together as one course in praise and honor of the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, a second reason you need a church home, you need a church home to rekindle hope. To rekindle hope. Look at verse 23. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, if you're using the King James Version, it reads faith, but the word is actually hope, the confession of our hope. We ought to come to church to reaffirm and declare our hope. When a man comes to church, he is saying something about where his hope lies. Now we know that the world is, is hoping for a better economy. The world's hoping for a better housing market and better interest uh, rates for investments. And, and of course we hope for those things too. But our ultimate hope is not in the world, but our ultimate hope is in Jesus Christ. I think of the hymn that says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I do not come to church because my hope is in the church or because my hope is in a denomination. I come to church to express my hope in Jesus Christ. And as I come to church, I am a witness to others through my actions that my hope is in Jesus Christ. And so in a sense, I'm casting a vote. I'm casting the only vote that really matters. I'm giving testimony to the fact that Jesus Christ is the foundation of my life. Now the writer of Hebrews wants them to see that this hope should help them and it ought to help us to press on. I want you to remember they were facing hardships. They were facing trials and tribulations and a whole lot of persecution. And some of them were being tempted to give up. And indeed, some of them were giving up. 
And he's telling them here, keep that hope that you have fresh in your mind. Folks, this hope that we have in Christ is one of the reasons Paul said to the Thessalonians who had lost believing loved ones, he said, we we grieve, we grieve their loss because they're not with us anymore and we'll miss them, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We have a living hope. And as we come to church each week, we are proclaiming that. And as we come to church, we might be facing all kinds of trials. Life might be beating the daylights out of you right now. But as we come here to worship, what should we we be reminded of? We ought to be reminded of the fact that that knuckle-headed boss that is giving you a tough time right now, he does not have the final say. That cancer that is in your body right now does not have the final say. That pink slip you've gotten at work and you've been laid off from work, that pink slip doesn't have the final say. That buddy at school you have, he's making fun of you because you are a Christian and you go to church, that buddy does not have the final say. And as we come through these church doors week in and week out, all that kind of falls by the wayside and we're reminded as we come into this place together who is really in charge. Yes, that cancer's got to be faced. And you've got to get a new job because you've got a mortgage coming due next month. But as Isaiah says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. I like what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor principalities nor powers nor trials uh, shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, what I'm saying to you this morning is don't lose your Christian hope. You've got a church home so you can come in here week in and week out and you can be reminded of the great doctrines of the Christian faith that we have. You can be reminded that you are never alone. There is no valley you and I ever go through but what the Lord Jesus is not our shepherd and he's right there with us. I want you to notice what he says at the end of this verse. The end of this verse is the key to it all. He says, because he's faithful. Aren't you glad of the faithfulness of God? Two weeks ago at this pulpit, John Gurley in his offertory prayer read Lamentations 3, where it says, through the Lord's mercies, we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. A church home is where you can come and rekindle that hope in the faithfulness of God. Thirdly, you need a church home to express love. Look at what he says in in verse 24 and 25. He said, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love in good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want you to notice what he says here, a key phrase. He says, consider one another. And that word consider was a mathematical term that literally means that we're to take careful assessment of each other. 
I'm to consider you, you're to consider me, we're to consider one another that we might stir one another up. Now folks, what do some people do when they come to church? Who do they consider? They consider only themselves. They violate a principle of the body of Christ. The Bible says in the body of Christ, when one member weeps, we're all to come alongside of them and weep with them. When one member rejoices, we're to come alongside of him and we're to rejoice with him. We're to consider one another and not only meet our own needs, but the needs of each other. Because we're all members of the body of Christ. We're not the same. We have different gifts and talents and different abilities and different things to contribute and it takes us all to make one body. And as one body, when one member suffers, we're all to suffer with it. I had a, a living illustration of that this past week. Last Friday, I took Brian snowboarding. He was snowboarding while I was skiing. And we skied all day, had a, had a great day, skied up until they closed at, at, at 10 up there at Sugar Mountain and, and had, a, had a great day, no injuries. I did fall one time, but that was right up near the lift, so didn't get hurt. I had a great day of skiing. But I noticed by the close of the evening, my legs and my knees were getting awfully weary. We drove home, got home, left up uh, Boone about 10, got home about midnight, got a shower, got in bed, woke up Saturday. So far, so good. About last Saturday night, my right knee. See, I injured the meniscus in it, the cartilage and all in it about 20 years ago. And about uh, nightfall last Saturday, that knee began locking up. And as the week wore on... It locked up more and more. It would catch and lock. And, and I would just have to break it loose in just about every direction. And if you've ever had that experience, you know that it is a pain that will absolutely take your breath away. I can assure you that every member of my body was thinking about my right knee. <laughs> my ears were thinking about my right knee. My right knee was hurting so badly. You see what he's saying in verse 24? That's how we're to be as the body of Christ. I'm to come to church to express love to other members of the body who may be hurting. Now, folks, it's hard to obey this verse if you're not in some kind of small group. And that's why we emphasize around here, you need to be in Sunday school or the choir or you need to be in a men's group or a ladies group or the youth group or choir, some kind of small group. And as we're in a small group together, he says that there's a purpose in all that. We are to stir one another up. We are to go to church to keep the church stirred up. Now there's a thought, isn't it? I think some Christians stop reading after that first phrase. They go to church to keep the church stirred up, all right. But they don't read on the second part. It's to be towards love and good deeds. It's interesting the word he uses here for stirred up. That great New Testament scholar Leon Morris, he said it is rare that this word would ever be used in a positive context. 
He said this word stirred up or provoked is almost always used in a negative way to stir up or provoke even in a violent way. And Leon Morris writes, he says, the fact that the writer of Hebrews chooses this word in a positive context to say that we're to provoke one another to love and good deeds, he says that makes the admonition all the more emphatic and all the more important. We're to stir one another up to love and good deeds. The goal of the stirring up is first of all love. Jesus said that's what we're to be known for. Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 2.10 talks about good deeds. We're saved by grace so then we can live a life of good deeds. We can't be saved by good deeds. But once we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then the Bible says we're freed up to live a life of good deeds. Folks, we're to be in a close fellowship with other Christians, and in that fellowship, we're to find where we can love and encourage each other. One of the biggest needs people have today is encouragement. And so he talks here in verse 25 that we're to encourage one another. And that word is the word that was used to describe the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John. The paraclete, the one who is called alongside of us. Two two Greek words make up a compound word. Para, alongside of, and kaleo, to call. The one called alongside of us to help us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And he's saying here, that's essentially the role you and I are to imitate the Holy Spirit in that. We're to be called alongside of one another to help one another. You see, Satan accuses the brethren. The Holy Spirit encourages the brethren. Are you and I more like Satan or are we more like the Holy Spirit? We're to be more like the Holy Spirit. Now, it's rather obvious that if you're going to go to church and express love to others, what must you make sure you're doing? You must make sure that you are in church. And so he goes on to say here, not forsaking the assembly of the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some. When I was a little boy, I, I loved that show, The Lone Ranger. Anybody else in here love The Lone Ranger? I loved Batman and had me a scooter. I'd put on back Batman cape, scoot around on my scooter. I loved Lone Ranger and, and had my hat and little stick pony and so forth. And back then, back, back when I was a little boy, my, my dad occasionally loved uh, to smoke a pipe or a cigar. I don't know why I'm getting into this. It's not really part of the story. But he loved to smoke a pipe and a cigar. And he said, I'd get on my little stick pony and I'd come right up next to his recliner and I'd smell that pipe or cigar. And he thought, I'm going to break that kid of this. And so he went to the store and bought one of those real strong cigars, one of those man cigars where you have to bite the end off of it. And he said, I'll give him that, I'll give it to him, and he'll smoke it and get sick as a dog, and he'll never want to smell my pipe or cigar again. He bit off the end, lit it, stuck it in my mouth. He said, son, you did what I couldn't even do as a little toddler. You took off inhaling that cigar. You took off on that stick pony, and I had to run you down and get my cigar back. 
but I love the Lone Ranger. What a great show. Boy, they don't, they don't, they don't write shows today like they did back then, do Lone Ranger was a great, great show for kids. But I want to tell you what, the one in the body of Christ who is living his or her life as a Lone Ranger is out of the will of God. They're out of the will of God. We're not to be Lone Rangers. We're to be meeting together faithfully, regularly, meeting together so we can think of what the other person is needing and provoke them to love and good deeds. And notice what he says the motivation is, all the more as we see the day approaching. What's the day? The return of Christ. You know, the Bible in the Old Testament, they talk about the day of the Lord, and God said, you know what? You hope for the day of the Lord, and the day of the Lord's not going to be so good for some of you. It's not going to be a day of rejoicing. It's going to be a day of weeping. There's no doubt in my mind that if the day of the Lord occurred today, there's some in this fellowship who would be left behind. Jesus talks about two working in the field, one taking, the other left. Two asleep in a bed, one taking, one left. The day of the Lord. We need to be praying that our loved ones would be ready to face the day of the Lord. We need to be meeting together, stirring one another up so we'll get busy about the Great Commission and the ministry of the church and we'll get a fire lit under us and we'll be doing what we're supposed to do in light of the coming day of the Lord. William Gladstone was one of the great prime ministers of England. He said on one occasion, he said, You tell me what the young men of England are doing on Sundays and I can tell you what kind of country England is going to be. What are you doing on Sundays? You need a church home. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? This morning, are you ready? What if the world trouble we're seeing is the beginning of the signs that God's about to wrap things up? Now, I'm not saying it is, but what if it is? Are you ready? Is your family ready? In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to look around this sanctuary. Are you stirring up your brothers and sisters? Are you about the Lord's business? Are you expressing love and helping others to be strong in light of that coming day? How about your confession of hope? Are you living in hope? Don't allow any trial or circumstance to dim your hope. Ask God to help you make church every week a time where you understand and appreciate more and more the hope that you have in Him because of Jesus Christ. How about your worship? Do you come to worship regularly? Are you too focused on who might be singing or if the Sunday school lesson or sermon, as I mentioned a moment ago, is to your liking? You need to ask God this morning to help you be a true worshiper and draw near to Him. Father, touch our hearts in relationship to this issue. Help us to understand the importance, the significance of a church home. 
about having a mission to the world, a ministry inside the walls of the church, and then we, as we leave, we have a mission to the world. This is to be a station where we learn and get equipped and encourage one another and pray for one another and go out of here as a body of believers on mission with Christ in the world. Help us to understand the significance. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.